Welcome to Thunder Off Script, a podcast for lovers of freedom. In today's episode, I'm delighted to share with you a recording of my very first live stream podcast, in which I responded to listeners' questions in real time. In this live stream session, I discussed calls to censor the Joe Rogan show, the lifting of vaccine passes and mandates in England and Ireland, the scientific futility of the EU's green travel pass, the freedom convoy in Ottawa, and more. Have a listen. I'm glad to be here and for our first live stream event, we're going to discuss some important issues. And I guess just to thank you for joining in here today. And there are basically two issues that I wanted to, a couple of different issues I wanted to discuss before we get into Q&A. The first is the whole Joe Rogan controversy and um, the calls for Spotify to take him down or to censor him. And then a couple of pieces of good news uh, for a change, several pieces of good news actually. So uh, we'll start with the Joe Rogan matter. Basically, as I'm sure you are all probably aware, Joe Rogan had a three-hour, a long interview, three-hour interview on his podcast show um, with Robert Malone, Dr. Robert Malone, who is one of the people closely involved in the development of mRNA technology for these COVID vaccines, or at least some of the COVID vaccines. And um, what happened was that Joe Rogan did this lengthy, in-depth interview with uh, Robert Malone, who is an outspoken critic of certain aspects of the vaccination campaigns. And basically, um, in this interview, uh, this interview was very controversial, um, and many people accused Joe Rogan as well as Robert Malone, of being promoting anti-vax sentiment. I watched a good chunk of that interview, and I would say that, uh, to me, it sounded like they were just raising reasonable concerns, questions about data collection, about um, adverse effects, and how they were being how they were being collected, how they were being recorded. Um, and also about the general disregard for informed consent. So basically, there was this kind of reaction um, whereby you saw a number of artists, including Neil Young, leading the charge in accusing Spotify of supporting misinformation, COVID misinformation. So Neil Young said that he it was either Joe Rogan or him. And that um, he basically said, gave an ultimatum to Spotify to take down Joe Rogan's video or else take his own, um, his own music uh, off the platform. And um, Spotify took, took, in the end, took down Neil Young's music. And then a number of other artists followed along saying that they would no longer work with Spotify. And the end result was that Spotify actually did make a public statement, um, basically saying that they, indicating that they were not going to intervene um, against uh, Joe Rogan, it seems, but that they were, and that's understandable because he's big money for them, um, but that they would put some form of COVID warnings uh, about misinformation or refer uh, Spotify users to COVID official COVID information um, when necessary. Um, the Surgeon General of the United States, uh, in in an MSNBC interview, which I watched, uh, also called for the big tech companies to be more proactive in censoring um, individuals who are responsible for misinformation. Um, in connection with the Joe Rogan matter. Anyway, I've written a I've written a Substack on this, <clears throat> a post on this, and so just basically to cut a long story short, you don't make any social progress um, censoring people because you disagree with them. Um, basically, what you end up doing is you artificially 
impoverish the range of information that's available to citizens and indeed to governments even. And um, there's no way to know in advance which information is going to be the best information and which perspective will actually win out in the debate. Um, and the whole fallacy behind this effort to uh, cut misinformation in the bud is the idea that there is some, you know, philosopher king, some technocrat, someone up there, um, some expert who can, you know, from a godlike perspective, survey the whole landscape of knowledge and information. And before it's even exposed to the public eye, know in advance whether it's going to contribute to something useful. Um, that's an incredibly hubristic and unrealistic conception of expert knowledge that has been, there's plenty of criticism of that already, but I think it's just clear that this idea that you can have a kind of expert class that can filter out bad information um, in advance is very dangerous for democracy and ultimately just leads us in an unhealthy direction um, in which we're suppressing information often with no good basis. Um, so, so that's, that's kind of what I wanted to say about that. And, um, and I also wanted to say that, well, well, obviously one good piece of news is that Spotify is not censoring Joe Rogan. So understandably for economic motives in this case, um, but still he's, his voice is still on there. And I think he asks the right kinds of questions. Now, there's some good news um, that I'm seeing here coming up, which is that the um, NHS has reversed its decision to impose a vax mandate, a vaccine mandate on its employees in the, in the United Kingdom. So it looks like, unless that has been reversed again, and I mean, but it looks like, according to um, a member of parliament, um, that I saw on Twitter had said that it's been agreed that they are going to back away from this decision to impose a vax mandate, a vaccine mandate on um, healthcare employees in the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. That is fantastic news. And, um, and it comes not long after the lifting of COVID restrictions, uh, including the vaccine pass in, um, in England. And, uh, and shortly thereafter in Ireland. So we're getting some really good news um, in that sense recently. The lifting of the vaccine pass is particularly significant because um, it, it's only domestic. Internationally, it's set in place, unfortunately, but at the domestic level, citizens will still be able to, um, will now be able to freely move around in society, go to bars, restaurants, um, and all their public amenities without being asked for to prove their vaccination status, um, which was just an incredibly backward move by public health authorities. And um, really, it doesn't even have much utilitarian value um, in the sense that um, these vaccines are leaky um, in terms of transmission. Uh, people are infected at roughly equal rates among the vaccinated and unvaccinated, and possibly, at least going by the UK um, statistics on infections, it's quite possible that the vaccinated are actually um, getting infected at higher rates than the unvaccinated. That's certainly what the data are showing from the UK Health Security Agency in um, recent weeks. So, um, Admittedly, that data is not perfect because it's not randomized. So it depends on who presents for these tests. There could be some distortions there. But I think the fact that double the number uh, presented, uh, the, there were double the amount, the rate of infection among vaccinated uh, citizens is surely an indicator that the vaccines are pretty useless at stopping transmission. And um, the Danish government also released similar data um, showing that a very high percentage of the vast majority of infections were occurring among vaccinated citizens. 
so at even in a higher rate than what you might expect given the number of people who are vaccinated um, in the population. So um, if the vaccine pass is useless for stopping transmission, then um, the only reason I can see for it being used is simply to coerce people into taking the vaccine. Um, and so the justification for that supposedly would be something like um, if more people take the vaccine, less people end up in hospital. Um, and um, and so let, let's say if that was true, I mean, let's just for the sake of argument, uh, except for the sake of argument that maybe uh, some of the people who are not vaccinating could have benefited from taking the vaccine. Well, with that logic, then we would have to, uh, we would be perfectly justified in turning alcoholics, um, smokers, and the obese into a second class citizen, uh, into second class citizens. Uh, excluding their access to social venues, restaurants, bars, etc., treating them as outcasts until they get with the program. And think of what kind of society that would be where every time some public health guru thought that we should improve our lifestyle and live more healthily to bring down our chances of hospitalization, if they could lift, if they could just um, turn us away from social life and social venues and hospitality venues at will um, because our QR code showed that we were over 40, I don't know, 100 kilos or whatever it is, or 150 kilos, depending on where they might set that, or because we had a certain amount of alcohol in our blood. Uh, that kind of society is a really scary prospect for me. And unfortunately, that is exactly the kind of society the vaccine pass is trying to usher in. And it's the only remaining justification for vaccine passes is a kind of social engineering where you want to micromanage people's health choices on a, so that um, you can optimize health outcomes in a kind of utilitarian fashion, thereby taking away individual liberty taking away the discretion of patients to deal with their doctors and to make the right decisions for their health. Because obviously these one-size-fits-all uh, directives do not correspond to everyone's health needs. And there are plenty of people who have been infected with COVID already or who are very young, uh, who are young and uh, in perfectly good health and do not have any co comorbidities or underlying conditions, and just have no reason to be afraid of COVID, really. So anyway, that's kind of on the vaccine pass front. Um, and then I also wanted to mention about the Freedom Convoy um, in Canada, which I was really pleased to see that almost uh, something, they said something like 50,000 50, truckers made it up to Ottawa in their trucks and this convoy, which they're calling a Freedom Convoy, and Ottawa was completely, um, you know, saturated with these crowds. And I've seen some overhead shots of the crowds. And uh, apparently they're going to stay for a while, um, for a few days at least. And they're protesting against the fact that they are being required to vaccinate in order to cross the border. They can't do, basically they can't work without, the vac without being vaccinated, which is just disgraceful. But I, I have to say, I was really pleased uh, to see just the impact, the international impact. It was covered even by mainstream like BBC, who, as you may have seen, are not exactly enthusiastically covering these protests, but they kind of had to cover this particular protest because it was so big. And I think it's really important that we keep the pressure up and that these kinds of protests continue so that, in a way, we become a thorn in their side and that they will never uh, be able to rest easy and be comfortable in what they're doing. Um, and we should take a page out of, a leaf out of, you know, Martin Luther King's book and the civil rights activists who uh, were so perseverant and they basically just kept, kept chugging away, kept taking risks uh, for 
liberty um, for the good of their fellow citizens and, and ultimately for the common good. And they didn't get overnight results, but they really managed to, I think, just embarrass public authorities again and again. Um, they became kind of an embarrassing thorn in their side. And as Martin Luther King said, they generated a creative tension that had to be resolved one way or another. And I think we need to make the advocates of these, this medical apartheid as uncomfortable as possible using all civil and peaceful means. So that's kind of what I had, had to, say, uh, to say today. Um, I don't know if you have questions or comments on, on what's going on or, you know, if you're happy with these developments, if you feel that we're heading in a, in a better direction now with at least in Ireland and the UK or in Ireland and England, the things seem to be looking a little bit better for now. So here we have a question from um, Liz Fitzpatrick. Do you have any thoughts on how to push for a rollback on the European travel pass requirements? And that's a great question, Liz. I do have some thoughts on this. The first thing to say is that they are being pushed from the top in the sense that the European Commission is very much behind this. And the president of the European Commission is very much behind these passes and has spoken publicly in favor of them and of extending them and their use into the future. Um, they're going to make it nine months instead of a year that you would have to have had your last vaccine. For example, this is the proposal at least. So I, I think it's going to be difficult for this to change at the top. And uh, it's always a little bit more tricky to get access to the top of the ladder. But I think also that there is quite a lot of discretion regarding how different uh, member states apply the vaccine pass, how they actually use it. Um, for example, they could be less rigorous in the way that they apply it, their testing requirements. And as sovereign countries, um, although I have to check into this, but I would assume that individual nation states, sorry, member states would be free, would be at liberty to waive testing requirements for incoming travelers if they wanted to. So I think the pressure would, would rather have to come probably primarily upon national governments, um, that they would have to feel the political pressure. And I see this idea of a trucker protest to Brussels being considered from Liam mentions this. And I, I mean, I think that's good. I think the pressuring from different sides, from different angles, um, at different levels is really good to get it into the public. We have to change the public mindset. I think this is a battle for the minds and hearts of citizens. And I think the trucker protest in Canada was a great example of how just seeing so many people out in the streets, it changes your perspective. And you start to see that there's actually a lot of people who are thinking in these terms. It's not just a fringe minority, as, as Trudeau was suggesting. So what can we do to get rid of these passes? I mean, probably continue with public protests. Mainstream media are not very open to this. So it's really hard for people like me to get any, any access to, to mainstream media, unfortunately. So it's really hard to get the message out on that side of things. But um, I think there is a very energized minority of people who, are, who care about these issues. And I'm hoping that uh, these protests that are happening, they are happening across Europe. They have been happening for many months. And uh, there was just recently here in Holland, in the Netherlands, I, I don't think it was very big, but there was a kind of a truck uh, a truck protest or a truck convoy, a freedom convoy of their own that was going around it's such a tiny country that they were able to probably tour the whole country you know <laughs> but these trucks were just moving around uh in a convoy um here as well so i think not just trucks also cars but i think they invited cars to join in um and uh let's see somebody mentioned that um 
In Canada, the MSM reporting the trucker convoy is horrible suspicion that the trouble was planted. Yeah, I mean, they would have latched on to any any misbehavior whatsoever to try and discredit the rest of the protests. But I think, at least in the reports I saw, maybe it's not reported that way in Canada, but in BBC or other international media, it did mention that the that the overwhelming that in general it was a peaceful protest. So probably the view from inside Canada is somewhat different from the view outside Canada. Um, big protests last Sunday in Washington. Big numbers, peaceful. Yeah, uh, Washington. I mean, I think basically in a lot of different a lot of different cities, um, we're seeing protests. Um, I mean, if you're on Twitter, you can see they're being, you know, forwarded these pictures of massive protests across the world, uh, across Europe, North America. Um, and, you know, isn't this encouraging? I mean, even if you're not get, we're not getting, you know, all the results you want, um, this shows that citizens, that the citizens possibly are beginning to wake up. They're in a minority, but they're a vocal minority. And I think this problem, this pandemic, the main issue for me has always been, well, not just the government and its incompetence and its, um, I would say, uh, recklessness, recklessness and criminal negligence, but also the naivety and passivity and indifference and kind of of a lot of citizens who just go along to get along and. I think went along with a lot, a lot more than they should have, and um, and really that they need to be woken up, because a lot of citizens are just asleep. I think, um, but I do sense that, for example, here in the Netherlands, um, I talk, I've been talking to some people from here, and they say that people are really sick and tired of the lockdowns, and that they, the government, pretty much had to open up. Um, at least open up in general. They still have the vaccine pass in place, which is ridiculous. But anyway, they opened up the shops and restaurants um, and a lot of it was political pressure. I mean, it was just the fact that people were just so sick and tired of it that they were already um, doing a lot of protesting and they were just, there was a lot of non-compliance, people beginning to open up anyway. And I think citizens have to know make that prudential judgment and just decide when is the time to, you know, disobey and to just say, you know, I'm not going to go along with this. Um, uh, I've had the experience of being locked out of restaurants, not being able to go into restaurants and so on. I went to a restaurant recently here nearby here in Katvaik on Zay, which is a small town, coastal town. Uh, The vaccine pass is in place. I went in, I asked for a table for four and um, and they brought me upstairs, gave me the table, and I assumed that I assumed that there was no vaccine. They were just turning a blind eye, or they weren't applying it. And then my friends who arrived were asked for a vaccine pass. They were they did have it. Uh, some other friends, but they were asked. Um, so in that particular case, it looks like they were applying it, but we just got lucky at the door. And in another coffee shop that I was in with my wife, we went uh, recently. Um, I feel like visiting a city without seeing a coffee shop is kind of a bit depressing. So I I knew the system was a place, but we went in and thought we'd just chance our arm. And and so the guy asked for our Corona pass. And I said, I said, I'm sorry, I don't have a Corona pass. And he said, oh, I, well, that's, you kind of have to have one. And I said, well, would you just, could we not just have a coffee? And then he went to his boss and he asked her and she kind of looked over at us and said, okay. So then we sat down and we had our coffee. So that's the situation, you know, it seems they are asking for it, but for the past, but they may not be necessarily always insisting on it. Um, Let's see what we've got here from Liam. Um, Doctors should be able to doctor and early treatment the way to go. Several protocols work, but governments ignore yeah, this is a big issue. Um, I mean, I honestly think that many, many lives, I'm sure, of, I'm quite confident that many lives would have been saved if if there had not been this 
kind of um, hyper-regulation of medicine. Mm, medicine needs to be regulated, obviously. Uh, but what's happened is that perfectly safe um, experimental treatments, repurposed drugs like ivermectin, were basically uh, withdrawn, permissions were withdrawn to use them to treat COVID. And hospitals were systematically blocking their doctors from using ivermectin and other treatments. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's disputed by scientists and doctors to what extent this is proven that these are effective. But what is not disputed and cannot be disputed, I think, is that they're very, a drug like ivermectin, extremely safe. And in that case, the risk-benefit assessment would have to be in favor of permitting it, even on an experimental basis. Just as we permitted experimental vaccines, we definitely should have permitted. Um, on the same logic, we definitely should have uh, permitted experimental early treatment. Um, and it's not even that experimental now with so many studies out. Um, this can't even go up in, up on YouTube now. Imagine that. We can't even, I couldn't put this on YouTube now because of what I said. But anyway, um, yes, I totally agree that this is a huge issue, early treatment. We have another uh, message here that says there is slow opening up in Ontario, Canada too, but only to the vaxxed. Even though our triple doses, Prime Minister just tested positive. Makes no sense. But he said it was to punish the vaccine free. Yes, indeed. Um, opening up, but not to the, the unvaccinated or at times even to the partially vaccinated. This can be viewed either ethically or from an ethical human rights perspective or from a, even from a utilitarian kind of perspective. And from an ethical human rights perspective, I just see no justification for um requiring citizens to carry around a vaccine a health pass of any kind in their everyday life i mean it it really makes no sense and i suppose here you have to there is an issue of proportionality here in the sense that uh, i mean if you completely change the situation and you said something like there was a perfectly safe vaccine to counter a really lethal disease, um, would it be proportionate to require citizens to accept that vaccine? I have serious doubts about that. I, I, I think that if the vaccine was so safe and if the disease was so severe, I think citizens would, would be persuaded to take it. They could be persuaded voluntarily to take it. I just think we shouldn't abandon ever abandon the principle of voluntariness in medicine. And in medical treatment. So on an ethical level, I think it's just a terrible idea to coerce citizens into taking any medication uh, for any purpose. And then if you want to get into the utilitarian logic, which is this idea that you can somehow reduce infections or reduce disease, and then you're treating people as kind of disease vectors. I mean, you're not retreating them as human beings. You're treating them more like cattle. But be that it as may, if you want to go down the utilitarian road, which I do not want to go down, um, there's really no, there's no scientific basis for believing that a vaccine pass, a heavily restricted vaccine pass system is going to stop COVID from spreading or is going to seriously reduce the disease burden. I mean, lots of people have decided already they're not going to get a vaccine and those people are not going to be persuaded by this kind of intimidation because they value their health too much. They're not willing to take that risk. And the marginal amount of gain you can have uptake in vaccines, vaccination, if we're going from 80% or 90%, up a few percentage points, what are you going to achieve with that? I mean, you're not going to change the big picture. Um, and the most vaccinated countries in the world are seeing there's case like Israel and Ireland have seen their cases case rates like skyrocket this winter in the winter months so from a utilitarian point of view it's just really unclear what you'd even achieve by forcing people into 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 um to carrying this vac vaccine pass around with them 
Um, and what you would achieve is turning people against public authorities, uh, sowing seeds of distrust in people's hearts. It'll make it much more difficult for public health authorities to be listened to or taken seriously the next time we have a, a real health crisis, public health crisis. So you lose a lot of people, you lose their trust, and you alienate them from public authority. And you also generate a much stronger anti-vaccine movement because I'm not anti-vaccine. I believe vaccines in general are very good in general uh, when they're safe and they're properly tested and they're uh, administered on a voluntary basis. But uh, I think you're not going to achieve anything by really except turning people against their governments um, by imposing a vaccine pass system. The people who are best positioned to understand the risks and benefits of a medication, namely the doctor and the patient, are essentially taken out of the picture and replaced with the opinion of a technocrat who is just looking on from above and cannot pretend to understand the intimacy, the intimate details of a patient's um, history and circumstances. So it's the death of prudence, in a way, the death of practical wisdom, the death of um, informed judgment, if you impose a one-size-fits-all directive coercively, a health directive coercively. And we have to fight this very hard because um, now you hear some people say, oh, I'll, I'll take the vaccine because it'll let me travel. Um, it'll get me some, buy me some privileges. Well, uh, not really. I mean, it might for it might get you some travel privileges for a while, but what happens when it's up for renewal? It's only going to last a few months, and then what? And then you're going to be, you know, in line again for your next top up. We've already been warned by the uh, European Medicines Agency that frequent top ups um, could be could weaken the immune system. Um, ex an excessive number of repeat vaccinations. So we are really putting our livelihood, our health, and even our lives in the hands of technocrats if we give in to their intimidation. And that's the reason why I don't accept the argument of some of my friends that, oh, just accept the vaccine so you can travel. Um, I, think that, 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 uh, I think that's a little bit short-sighted, to say the least. And naive, uh, because you're you're selling your own health and your own health choices um, to a kind of uh, technocratic class, right? So I, th I think that's uh, that's a very dangerous prospect. Regarding what will happen next winter, I think we've got a little lull in the because naturally uh, we're now kind of the curves. There's a natural curve for viral spread. Uh, once the vulnerable population has reached the vulnerable population, once there's been a kind of, if you will, um, immunization of the population, whether through vaccination or through natural exposure, you then get a drop-off in cases, especially, let's just say, in disease levels, um, and it becomes normalized, essentially. It becomes like a flu. Um, and or like a cold, that is seems to be exactly what's happening. We're in the endemic phase. So, so I think we have to register a caveat about the celebration of these measures that we're seeing being dropped in, the, in England and Ireland, and slowly they'll probably be dropped in a lot of other countries as, as they just see that, there's, that, that, that the really the hospitals are emptying out or that they're not as busy at least they're not as busy with respiratory diseases or with COVID-19. But what's, what, what really worries me and why I think that we have to keep the pressure up is that, is, that, is that the reason they're dropping them is not because of civil rights. I mean, it's not primarily because of civil rights. It's because of utilitarian logic or argument that there are less cases and therefore we can afford to open up. And so we're keeping in place this totally flawed logic that 
you can control a respiratory disease and its circulation in the community by just sort of lifting and closing different parts of social life. That is just such nonsense. I mean, it really is scientifically gobbledygook. It's not, it's, it doesn't have any support in the literature. It doesn't have any support in the data, in the evidence coming out of um, different countries. So when you try to find correlations between lockdowns and say decreased disease or decreased death from COVID, you can't find those correlations. You, there's there's really no evidence. There's no solid evidence to show that this that lockdown is an effective tool of disease control. But if you accept the false idea that it is an effective tool, and then you just drop it when you think the case numbers have dropped enough, we're just in this cycle whereby next winter, if we get another, you know, uh, another increase in respiratory virus uh, or respiratory illnesses or there's pressure on hospitals doesn't even have to be COVID. they'll just say oh um we need to close society again because it's a respiratory virus we want to reduce the circulation of the flu um people think that's absurd but i don't think it's absurd at all i think once you've accepted this that this is the way to control disease then you go back to that again every winter it's a it's a real possibility. And I just think people need to be ready to put up a lot of civil disobedience if there's another attempt to do this. Denmark are removing restrictions from tomorrow, mainly because Omicron is not as dangerous. Yeah, well, that's good news. That's really great to hear, um, Liam. Yes, indeed. Um, unfortunately, Netherlands is not as is not as, let's say, um, liberal, shall we say, as to do that. Um, even though the fact that Denmark had the restrictions in the place, I would emphasize, shows already that they had gone down a bad, a really bad path. Um, our hospital ICU were not near full, but the restrictions remained. The, ma- the mainstream media stopped stating the vaccine on vax cases when the vax skyrocketed. So people don't realize the vax cases um, and continue with the narrative. The data is available. People don't see it. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. The data is available, but people don't see it because people like me and others uh, don't get access to any of the mainstream media. Ever since I started writing about the pandemic, it was just doors closed um, there. So I think this is just a fact that we're being frozen out and people are not... Uh, don't necessarily do the research for themselves. So they believe what they read, what they see on TV and what they see in the newspapers. So, I mean, that gets to the issue of civil society. And I think just the fact that we really need to educate the people around us and build networks that are not completely dependent on mainstream media and on the propaganda that comes out of government. I'm worried how they will spin Omicron to since the timing aligns with Pfizer's new vaccine. Yeah. Well, let's see. How could they spin Omicron 2? Uh, more transmissible? Yes. Is it going to impose a bigger disease burden? I think it's becoming increasingly clear that that's just not going to happen. It's very unlikely because we're already seeing a large part of the population has been has been infected. I mean, anecdotally, I can say that practically everyone I know has had Omicron now, practically everyone around me in Ireland, in England, and in Spain. Now, I guess more people have to be infected with it. It's not like the whole population has been affected, but um, it's universally recognized that it's a much milder variant than um, Delta. And as one doctor from South Africa recently said, she said, it's a mild disease. Omicron is a mild disease. She said, European media want me to say, would want you to say it's a serious disease, but Omicron is not a serious disease in general. So we're in the, we're in the region of uh, cold or flu, um, another coronavirus, just like the other ones that are already, you know, have become um, end, end, endemicized, if you want. They're now endemic. 
which means they circulate already in the population widely, but they don't have, they don't cause severe, um, really high spikes in, in, in severe illness um, and hospitalization or uh, severe spikes in mortality. Um, they become a kind of, they coexist, kind of friendly coexistence with the human species um, because we've adapted to them. And that's what, what's happening with Omicron. So I suppose they could try to spin Omicron as more transmissible, but um, objectively, it's going to be hard to scare people when the hospital statistics can't really bear that out. And then, of course, you're right about the Pfizer vaccine companies will try to, you know, push that they have the latest vaccine for Omicron now, and they're trying to develop that. Why should we even care? I mean, honestly, like, why why should we really care about a vaccine for a common cold? I mean, is it really, if exposure to Omicron already gives immunity, natural immunity, why on earth would I take an experimental novel vaccine to counteract a cold. I mean, I just don't, I don't get it. Um, I do, I do get the fact that, uh, that the, this industry, the pharma industry wants to make more money. I, I, I certainly get that. In Toronto, they're terrified most should do double masked outdoors. Wow. Well, that's social psychosis, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I've I've seen it myself in in Spain. I would believe it because I've seen it. I've seen it because people here. I'm not in Spain now, but uh, you know, for a large part of the pandemic, for quite a long period of time, they had outdoor masking was obligatory. Everyone was masked outdoors on their own, walking around in the middle of nowhere, in villages, in the countryside. Police were telling people who were, and I'm not joking, I went for a hike. And the police were stopping people who were going for a hike outdoors and were telling them to put their masks on. I saw, I was one of those people who was being asked to put my mask on. So the kind of level of irrationality and psychosis that this has generated is mind-blowing. What do you think of Matthias Desmet and mass psychosis? Well, uh, to be honest, I haven't had a chance to weigh into that and to really read through, or sorry, to listen to the full interviews on the topic or to do reading on it. So I've only heard kind of really quick summaries and, um, and, and, and I think it sounds, without knowing the details of it right now, but it's on my list of reading, I do think that mass psychosis, something like that um, is necessary to explain what has happened. Um, and I do believe that let's say, to put it in layman's terms, some form of mass hypnosis. Um, in other words, a kind of a spell that you cast over a population that exposed to the same media, the same messaging, um, who are influenced by others' behavior and reactions. This is a known phenomenon. And you see it with um, genocide, for example, um, in Rwanda. Uh, you see how a large part of the population can turn on each other and turn on their neighbors. You see it with the Islamic State. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm sure that in the case of these, th there are probably different reasons in each case. They're not exactly the same explanation, but you often see patterns of compliance that are completely out of keeping with their everyday behavior. But that when they see um, a kind of a tendency. It's almost like a whisper that's moving through the population and that just takes you over. It's like standing at a, at a rally or at a march and just feeling the energy and the electricity running through you. Um, it's, it feels like 
it almost feels irresistible. Um, and that's, uh, that is something that's a known phenomenon. So is, is that, I wonder, is that something that could explain um, what's going on? And think about Nazi Germany. Of course, people don't like to make comparisons with Nazi Germany. It seems to be, I don't know, a very unpopular comparison. But the fact that we don't need to, it's not that we're saying that people will be put in concentration camps and killed. Um, but there is a form of ma- exclusion, systematic exclusion of a certain set of the population that is deemed somehow not fit for social life. And that is a very dangerous thing. And for so many people to go along with that, and for so many people to believe that COVID is this amazingly, I don't know, uh, apocalyptic kind of threat, even when, even at this late stage, when it's practically endemic, um, and when it's turned into a common cold for the most part, uh, that level of fear in the population, um, I think, has to be somehow artificially generated. And I think the idea of mass psychosis is somehow an alignment. Um, it's almost like people participating in a collective mindset um, and being infected by that. It's almost like a virus, a mental virus. Um, an emotional virus. Uh, when you see other people around you who are terrified, you only have two cho- you have two choices. One is to question why they're looking so scared, and to think, well, they're mistaken. They might be mistaken. Become critical. Um, so you could be critical, or another is to put your faith in them and to think. If they're so terrified, there must be a reason. And then you're influenced by that. And I think, you know, Tocqueville and democracy, Alexei Tocqueville, who wrote a famous work called Democracy in America, commented on the power of majority opinion. And he said that in a democratic culture, people tend to readily believe that something that is believed by a huge number of people or by the majority of your peers must be right, uh, that they cannot be mistaken. So, I mean, let's be honest. I I have been very critical of COVID measures and I had COVID myself t- two years ago, a pretty heavy spell of it, but it didn't have to go to the hospital, but the worst flu of my life. But, I mean, if... If I had not found any intelligent commentator, academic, or expert echoing my my worries, then I would have seriously. De- I, I think I would have ended up worrying, wondering if I was crazy. Um, because if you're the only person saying something, and everyone around you is saying the opposite. Um, you become convinced that you're probably there's probably something wrong with you. Uh, it's very difficult to hold your line against an overwhelming majority. Psychologically, that's very difficult. But um, as you are well aware, there are plenty of intelligent experts who are commenting on this and noticing how totally disproportionate the COVID response has been, the response to COVID has been by governments. And... Um, and I think some very prominent voices have spoken out and, and I feel consoled by that and feel I'm not on my own. I'm not alone. And a lot of people have written to me and kind of thanked me for taking a stand and that it really resonated with a lot of intelligent people who are thoughtful and critical. And, and I mean, you know, we shouldn't have contempt for people for going along. I mean, because you don't know their reasons and their fears, the sources of their fears. You don't know what kind of education they had and you don't know who's influencing them. So I think we just have to be patient and courteous and civil and just keep pushing, plugging away with our message and just sharing information and analysis that is useful for other people to help inform them. 
Liam says, my wife tells me I am the only voice. And how is that the vast majority? How is it the vast majority are wrong? Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, if you were literally the only voice, then, then it would be harder for you to defend yourself, probably. But the fact is, you are one of many, many voices. And, um, and it's not just a handful of people kind of who just came up with these ideas. We're talking about people who are extremely well-informed and have built their careers on public health and have put their reputation on the line to criticize COVID policies. Um, think of someone like Martin Kulldorff at Harvard University, Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford University, Sunetra Gupta at Oxford University. It's, it's um, reassuring to me that people who have devoted their careers and lives to the study of public health and infectious disease are seeing the problem. And um, the Great Barrington Declaration kind of is a good statement on this that you can look up. I'm sure many of you probably know this already. You just look to something like the World Health Organization's pandemic guidelines from 2019, completely ignored in 2020, completely ignored, torn apart, disregarded. Home quarantines were not, were not recommended um, uh, under any circumstances. And border controls were not recommended under any circumstances. Not effective. And they were right. They were right because the border controls did nothing to stop COVID. They did not work. You know, once the, once the virus is out, once the genie is out of the bottle and moving around, there's no point in putting a, a policeman at, a, at the border. It's just, it's already spreading and developing independently in different countries at that point. And so the, the, the Vax Pass system in Europe makes no sense either. Absolutely no sense for international travel. It's, it's just stupid. It really is. It really is quite stupid. Because what's the point? The, the, the virus is already everywhere. All over the place in Europe. So why, what are you achieving by, by testing people before they board an airplane? I just, I just really don't see the point. Um, I don't see the point of that. So I think we've come to the end of our session, and I just wanted to say thank you, and uh, I look forward to our next, our next uh, discussion.